survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. This season, my partners and I will walk you through the eight tenets to drive meaningful, impactful, and sustainable change in an organization. We'll explore each of these tenets at a high level over eight weeks, and then we'll take a deeper dive into each one to really understand why it's important and how to put some of these principles into practice. We'll share some of our own personal experiences from the hundreds of clients we've helped and invite other professionals to share their stories on what has worked, what hasn't worked, and bring some perspectives to the discussion. In summary, I want to highlight our eight tenets again. Those are, one, the case for change, which is all about getting clear on the why. Two, knowing your audience. This is a topic that explores how to identify impacted stakeholders and understand the influencers in your organization and think about what they should care about and why you should care. Three is around messaging matters. This topic explores how you develop key messages and themes that support your case for change. Four is bracing for impact. This topic is really about identifying and mitigating risks to your business as you navigate change. Five is around charting the course. And this topic is all about the importance of having a solid change plan. Six is around readiness metrics. This topic explores why it's important to have metrics to track your progress. Seven is around making it stick. This topic explores how to create an organization adapted for change. And eight, our eighth tenet is recognize, reward, repeat. And this topic is one of my favorite topics and hence why I have brought back one of my favorite colleagues, Steve Van Valen, to explore why it's important and imperative really that you recognize people through the journey, through the change, that you reward them for the behaviors that you want to see that are in alignment with the culture you want to embrace, and you keep it up regularly. For all of the listeners that have been participating since our first season, you will recognize Steve Van Valen's name. I'm thrilled to have him back for our second season. Steve is currently the founder and CEO of Culturology, and I have had the privilege of working with Steve now for Oh gosh, Steve, I feel like it's been years, but maybe it's only been less than a year. I just value so much of his insights on what he brings to the table on not just high-level strategy, but really ground-level tactics to help an organization foster a a high-performance culture. So with that, I'm going to let Steve uh, provide a little bit of background on himself And we'll jump in with some questions right after that. So, Steve, thank you for joining me today. Hey, my pleasure, Jennifer. Thanks for, uh, it's great to be on Survive and Thrive. So, uh, really appreciate the opportunity. So, just real quick background. So, founder of Culturology, I, I work with leaders who really believe that their people can be their most strategic difference maker in their success, their most competitive opportunity to separate themselves from the competition. So essentially what we're doing is we're unlocking people's ability within the culture to be at their very best. And so the idea of change or survive and thrive is is core to everything we do. (laughs) 
I'm really looking forward to exploring this this topic with you. Thanks, Steve. So before we kind of dive in more specifically on the importance of recognition and reward, I would love to hear just some of your general thoughts about leading an organization through change. Maybe you could even describe an experience where you went through a change and it was positive. Yeah, I think the one thing that sometimes leaders get trapped into is they get caught in the weeds. You know, they get so far down into the details of what the change entails that they forget to pop up and go to 30,000, which is, you know, really looking at how this change impacts the strategic imperatives of the company, for example. In other words, talking about the big why picture, which is part of your methodology, but how does this change really impact our brand? How does it impact the impression that we're making with customers? Like, what difference will this make in terms of our long-term success as an organization? And being able to sort of share that big picture why with people is really key. And even if you're a, a team leader and maybe it doesn't have to be connected to the gigantic strategic imperatives of the company, but how would it impact the team? What sort of things do you have as your vision for where where this team can go, how the team can operate, the impression that that your team has within the organization. We all want to be looked at as high performers. Can you show people through the change how it would impact those things? And so I just, in my own experience of of seeing how this worked at QVC, when I helped lead the culture at QVC, was we always looked at our culture change, for example, in light of how this would impact us as a brand. Connecting something is as sort of squishy or hard to touch or feel as culture, connecting that to being a strategic imperative for how it was going to impact the QVC brand, I think made all the difference in that change being able to be actualized and then implemented and and integrated in, in all the things that we did there. So we always made sure we connected it to the bigger picture. We were going through culture change. Great points. Maybe you might have an example where you went through a change or even maybe were called in to help with some kind of business transformation where the experience wasn't so positive. Any insights there that you care to share? Or maybe you have forgotten them because you only remember positive things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tend to, tend to repress those other ones, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, let, let's face it. No one initially <laughs> reacts to change positively. It's always what, what's wrong with it. So that's our natural knee-jerk reaction, myself included. I mean, I think of myself as a glass half full, <laughs> uh, maybe overflowing, positive, optimistic person. And, and yet, you know, I have to reflect on my own sort of reaction to when something new or different comes about. And I think the first reaction a lot of us have when our plates are way too full and our hair is on fire and we, we just don't have any more capacity. When we are faced with this new change, we go, oh my gosh, Like this is more work. How am I going to deal with this? It's all about me at first, right? But then how are we going to take this on? I think the key is really looking at what are the things that we don't have to do. So we all have a to-do list. I I think when a change hits us and we have this bad reaction, we have to create a to-don't list, which can help relieve us from some of those things that are burning down the house from a busyness standpoint. 
and identify some of those things that we don't have to do or is less of a priority now. So when I face some of those changes myself, when I'm at the top of my game, I'm thinking that way, Jennifer. I'm like looking at what, well, what, how does this change what I used to do? What can I take off my plate so that I can address this? Because the extra work always sounds like it sucks. Let's face it. <laughs> I love the idea of a to-don't list. That's new for me. I'm going to borrow that one because I sometimes drive myself crazy with to-do lists. So maybe I should uh, try the to-don't list. The other thing, I may, maybe just to add to that, if I can, is if you're the leader and a change hits you and just being honest about like, you know what, I'm really worried about this. I don't see how this is necessarily going to work out yet. Okay. Having a vulnerability and then that invites the team to participate in the solutions. Like, what do you see, folks, as how we can work through this? Because I'm not quite seeing it yet. And I think if we make it that personal as a leader, if we make we leave ourselves vulnerable, but in a powerful way, because you want to be open-minded to seeing the possibilities, you invite people into the creative process to solve it with you. You know, all the research that's been out there, especially recently about psychological safety at work. For a leader to be able to say those things and then invite people to participate. And by the way, we're going to screw up along the way having that sort of candid conversation about it. There's blind spots that we're not going to know about until we get there. That is really key to setting up the right conditions for success, I think. That's great. I, I appreciate that. And what are some of the ways organizations can help influence change? You have to show it what's in it for them. You have to sit down and reflect on what that story is that you're going to tell on how this will change their world. So we talked a little bit about the changing it at the 30,000 level for the organization, but can you personalize it? Like what will it mean to, to people? And then if you're not sure, a lot of times us as leaders, we, we guess at these things. So we we'll probably get them right, but why not ask them? So if this change is really acted upon and we let's get to the end here, let's let's vision the end result. How would this change your world? Like what's the benefit of it? And if you can just have that conversation, even inserting it into your meetings, whether it's a status meeting or a project rollout meeting, making sure that you ask those sorts of questions rather than assuming, oh, here's how this benefits you, Jennifer. And you're going like, that's a bunch of hooey. Uh, I don't believe that. Well, if I asked you, how does how would this benefit you? I'm going to get the real answer from you. So a little bit of change in, in mindset, but it's about inclusiveness, right? It's about asking those extra questions to to help people figure it out for themselves and reflect on it. Taking the time to reflect is is really key. I think that's so important what you just shared with our listeners. And goes along with the first point in this tenant, which is recognize. So I have seen it myself all too often. The leaders of organizations will come in and basically give you a lot of propaganda on why this is going to be great and why this is going, you know, why it's important that we're going to do this. But perhaps they've not necessarily taken the time or have had the opportunity to or even had the knowledge that it is very beneficial to take the time to identify some of those individuals and groups that are impacted. And 
invite them to participate in sharing what this means for them in terms of impacts and how how they believe it will impact them. Because often there can be great positives out of change. But as you shared in the beginning, by nature, we are wired in such a way to do things habitually. And it is uncomfortable when change occurs. And sometimes it ends up for the better. But we all tend to have that knee-jerk reaction initially that something is changing and what, what do I now need to do about it? So I appreciate that you, you know, highlight the importance of just even in a meeting setting, something as simple as talking about some of the changes that are occurring and then inviting people to share, you know, what they believe some of the impacts will be. That's a huge way to start to just acknowledge people and recognize them and see them for who they are and begin to meet them where they are. It's not a bad question, too, to ask people what, what would they anticipate uh, keeping them up at night with regard to the change. And people are working so hard. Let's face it, the virtual world has caused us to work now, you know, 14 hour days on a regular basis. And we want to know that. We want to get out front and be proactive for understanding what might be pushing a person to, you know, shift their balance a little bit too far on the side of like, oh my gosh, like I got to get this done. And we know that that has a limiting impact on productivity, certainly engagement. You can't keep taking people to the, you know, the 14 hour realm all the time without expecting sort of a downfall in some way. We just, we have a defense mechanisms that says, I, I, I can't keep this up. So we don't want people to looking elsewhere or we don't want them to drop off the table and be so defensive that they, they don't want to take accountability for new work. So that's, that's really a, a variable here. Speaking of quote unquote, getting people to take on new work, we often get asked, how do you change the hearts and minds of a population that needs to embrace a new change? Yeah. I mean, I think some of the things that we talked about with, you know, what's in it for them, connecting it to sort of the larger strategic imperative, certainly. But I think giving them sort of confidence, this may not be the answer you would expect, perhaps, but giving people confidence that they can work through it. And I think the confidence, for example, understanding that a creative process is necessary to address the change because we have to be flexible, we have to be nimble, we have to be agile as the change is occurring to be able to address it properly, to really teach people, for example, how to brainstorm together. And literally get those rules inside our head for how we engage with other people and receiving ideas, uh, shopping ideas, judging ideas, selecting ideas. Like there is a process to that, just like there is for accounting or, you know, software uh, design and development. There's a process to the creative process and helping people understand how that works and feeling confident that they can work together as a team to work almost anything through. We had this mindset at QBC, there, there's nothing too big that we can't solve together. Like that was sort of this internal mantra that we had. And we kind of proved it out because we're going into unknown territory with what we were doing as an organization. I mean, nobody had done some of the things that we did before at QBC in terms of being an e-commerce business. And Yet that attitude, that confidence helped us embrace it as we went along. We knew how to utilize the creative process. 
It's really interesting that uh, you shared, you know, almost a, a mantra or a rally cry, getting aligned behind something that the team felt that they could do better together than alone or as individuals. So it has me think about some of the experiences with various clients we've worked on when leaders have sort of come out into the people, so to speak, and just provided them a level of transparency around this is why we believe this is important and this is what we know and this is what we don't know. And this is where I think when you start to tap into people and ask them for their input, they can then start to be part of the fabric that creates the new change. And they start to embrace certain behaviors because you've shown them the trust and respect that as a leader, hey, I don't know everything, but here's what I know. Here's what I'm, I'm not sure of. What are your thoughts? What are your inputs? And it's not easy. I mean, it's you get a lot of resistance and people do. There's a lot of people that groan and moan, but still keeping them somehow engaged in conversation, it can surface some wins that a number of people can get behind. And then some of those folks that were sort of the naysayers in the beginning can actually turn around and become your influencers and start a grassroots movements in organizations. And we've seen that over and over and over again. Yeah, people embracing change, looking forward to it, realizing that if you're staying still, it's uh, there's something wrong here. You know, the one constant is change, right? So we have to expect it and have the tools and confidence to be able to address it as a team, for sure. One of the things, Jennifer, that, that people are doing that I have noticed that's highly effective is when they're in the midst of high change, they're increasing their communication frequency. In other words, all of us are familiar with the whole huddle concept, right? The best thing that's come out of high change is that people are huddling. They're standing up, not if they're in person, they're standing up, they're having a quick meeting, they're talking about what they need to do, and they set up the conditions for people to have wins, even in the morning frame or the afternoon frame, whatever that huddle is. Like, what do we need to do now, like between now and lunchtime? What do we need to do between lunchtime and when we, you know, we hang things up at the end of the day? So they compress that time frame and they have real specific communication, not micromanagement, but saying, what does done look like? I want to really identify that what done looks like, and then people are naturally empowered to go after it. That's the difference between a micromanager saying, I'm going to manage every little step you do versus like saying, here's what done looks like. You figure out how to get there. I'm here to support you if you have questions along the way. If the picture a point on the on a paper, it's A and then another point B. The straightest thing between those two points is a straight line. Well, it never works that way in business. It's a it's more like a spiral. We want to identify what that B looks like. That's the clear goal. And then people will be empowered to get there through the creative means that they choose along the way. So I think that's key to it. And the huddles can help identify that B even in a compressed time frame. I love that you bring up empowerment because especially coming out of the pandemic at a time where many of us can feel powerless, when organizations can help port their employees to feel some sense of 
empowerment that they can take things, they can take control and move towards the desired outcome. It's extremely powerful. And it's one of the things that is becoming very evident post-pandemic or, you know, maybe, I don't know how we even call this, but after the first crazy uh, pandemic that we've experienced in at least my lifetime, empowerment is one of the three critical things employees need right now for the future of work. It's purpose, empowerment, and empathy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think empowerment confounds a lot of people. It sounds like, hey, go do whatever you feel like doing. I'll give you a lot of rope here. Go ahead and, you know, like take it. And it's not that. It's Dr. Teresa Mobley from Harvard Business School really identified this. There, there can be no question about how this works. If you identify what that goal end state looks like, then people will be empowered to get there. You have to do that part of it. So that's that's the one thing that when you talk about empowerment all the time, just letting people go loose like a bunch of cats uh, running around in a room. But no, it's uh, what is that goal? Being very exceedingly clear on that part of it. And that's what sets up the conditions for empowerment. I love that. And I actually am reflecting on some of one of the blogs that I wrote about that there are really three steps to empower employees. And one of the first is very complimentary to what you said, create an environment that encourages people to act for a greater good of their community. And community here being defined by those stakeholders who interact with the organization. So that could be employees, customers, partners, etc. But when people feel connected to their community, they will often take steps to protect and preserve it. And so when you empower people, you're not only motivating them, but you're inspiring them to act and you're drawing upon a a resiliency that's needed to move through change. And I said, the second thing is, as it relates to empowerment, is to remove obstacles in making decisions. That's a big thing for people. As you said, when you show them what good looks like, let them make their own micro decisions to get there and be supportive and trying to give them direction and guidance when they come and ask for that direction and guidance. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Thinking of recognition and reward, I have had the opportunity of talking to you about ways to continue to motivate and reinforce the behaviors you ultimately want to see in an organization. Are there tactics that you've used to support an organization through change? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think of recognition or appreciation or rewards, uh, typically we think of programs, right? We think of the the grand poobah announcement in the atrium and somebody steps forward and receives a plaque or some, or a gift certificate or something like that. Great. Those are all awesome. But where I've seen the biggest lift, Jennifer, that really truly changes a culture from the inside out is when the organic conversations happen of appreciation and recognition, the things that happen multiple times a day, not the grand poobah annual award, but it's the the simple conversations. I know it kind of sounds cliche, but how do you change culture? One conversation at a time. When it comes to managing change, one conversation at a time. So here's what we do in terms of shaping a culture that's what I call a coaching-rich environment where people feel appreciated. It's about changing the mindset to go from people just saying, great job, 
If I say to you, great job, okay, that's that's appreciation. Wow, Steve acknowledged Jennifer, great job. But the question really is, how do you turn that great job into something that has sticking power, that really means something more than like the equivalent of have a nice day, great job, you know? How do you do that? And so what we do is we literally train and teach people how to share, how to communicate what I call a meaning maker narrative, fancy word for like, how do you tell the story of how you caught that person doing something right? (laughs) It's a complete mindset change. Like if I think of the people that work for me and my peers, my boss, even as like, how can I catch them doing things right? It opens up a whole new, uh, you know, can of whoop ass on you in terms of creativity of what you can really do for people. Here's what we do. We think of it as how do we tell that story in an effective way? It starts with the what. Like, what did they do? I'm going to catch them doing something right. So what did they actually do? Hey, Jennifer, I know, you know, that, and I'll, I'll give you an example here. I noticed that you absolutely nailed the the project assignment two days before it was even due. Okay, that's the what. Now I'm going to share the how part with you. So what, and now we're going to tell the story of how. You took unbelievable accountability and ownership for this project, even though it was something sort of outside of your, your sandbox. It wasn't even your responsibility. So that was the how. So what did you do? How did you do it? And then this is the third component, which people often forget, which I think is the most powerful thing of all, which makes it meaningful, is why does it matter? So you nailed the project ahead of time and you took incredible accountability. And I just want to let you know that you, you saved the situation and when we needed you most. And it took a lot of stress and pressure off the rest of the team. And I noticed that about people. And I just want to thank you for that. I could have easily said, great job, Jennifer, with the project assignment, or I could step back and share the what, how, and why with you to tell that story of catching you doing something right. And I got to believe that it would mean something far more to you emotionally to feel that respect that I've noticed that, let's say I'm your boss or your peer, than just saying great job. So I know that was a lot to share, but that those are sort of the rudiments of appreciation that once we sort of unlock this for people, and I, listen, I'm an introvert. I got two things going against me to share these stories really effectively, and I don't want to you know, lock myself in with all introverts. We, we sometimes don't say things because we're not sure it's going to come out perfectly. <laughs> so I may say great job because I'm not sure what to say. And the other thing is, quite frankly, I'm a guy. Okay. So guys, maybe not overall, but some guys have struggled with, with sharing sort of the emotional componentry here of making something meaningful. So that I built this system to make even somebody like me be able to tell that story and have it feel natural and authentic and genuine and not some phony thing that I'm just you know, puffing you up or giving you a Pollyanna. I love it. And what I love about it, Steve, is it it is so simple. It is such a simple, tactical tool that anyone really in an organization can implement today. And it costs zero dollars. 
So, yes. <laughs> and the impact is is significant. And it also is a tool that could be used when you have to deliver not so positive feedback because it helps people think about what they're going to say before they say it and and focus more on the outcome that occurred than necessarily the character of the person, which sometimes can happen when people are in a more of a tense situation and giving feedback. So I think it's a brilliant, brilliant, simple technique. Oh, thank you. I, I love that idea. Yes, this format works absolutely for constructive feedback too. But think about how our relationships are at work. We've all heard about this emotional bank account concept where we make deposits and we make withdrawals, depending on you know how we respond to people. When you give somebody appreciation and you're able to give them the meaning maker narrative, catch them doing something right, you're making a deposit in that relationship and you're building equity with that person. So that let's say two weeks from now, I have some pretty tough coaching to give you, you know, some constructive coaching. Maybe you really messed something up. I, I'm not bankrupt in my relationship with you. I already have equity, I would assume, because I've I'm fair. I've caught you doing things right, which you have. And now I'm able to share something candid and honest about, you know what, here's something that probably needs to change. And your response to that, I think would be completely different, I would hope, if I have made those emotional uh, deposits into your bank account in our relationship together. I love that analogy. That's fantastic. For our listeners, Steve, if you're okay with this, I'd love to include that example in our show notes of the meeting maker, just what you, you know, what you stepped through with with me. I think that's fantastic. And just something to also share with our listeners that culturally, I think it's important to think about the way that you're recognizing and, and rewarding somebody. And the meaning maker is a great, you know, it's a great tool to do that because I do a lot of coaching work. And I coached some very diverse backgrounds. And what I have uncovered in my coaching work over the years is that certain cultures are less receptive to positive feedback than others. And it's not part of their their cultural upbringing. And individuals may not necessarily believe you when you say something like, oh, good job. It's like, okay, whatever. But when they hear something that's very specific, that really drives a message home for them. And I have actually you know, heard from people that that type of a feedback format is very useful for them, for those who sort of have not necessarily been in an environment where positive feedback was the norm or acceptable. Some people say, well, that's why they pay me around here. Okay, don't believe them. When you think about the idea of somebody catching you doing something right, notice what the reaction is. Look at the look on their face. Here's one of the things I would recommend to somebody, especially if you have maybe you have a team that, of people that aren't used to being appreciated and they're not really sure why you're doing it. Like, what are the, where's the other shoe going to drop or when's the other shoe going to drop? Is practice on everyone that you meet in life. And I believe this is sort of a pay it forward concept that everyone should be doing anytime but especially post-pandemic when we've gone through something so traumatic. So here's my advice. When you're out to a restaurant, waiter, waitress does something super special for you. 
when you're at your doctor office and your doctor does something extra special for you, when you're at the grocery store and you notice that the grocery clerk is, is doing a great job of bagging your groceries. Okay. Now, yes, they're getting paid to do that, right? Catch them doing it right. Hey, by the way, I just wanted to say thank you for uh, putting all the frozen foods together. It makes it so easy when I get home to put those away quickly and it's 90 freaking degrees outside here. And that's really helpful. Thank you. Look at the reaction on their face, right? <laughs> it's the idea, back to the idea, it's a mindset, catching people doing things right. And we we should do it everywhere and all the people that we encounter, whether we love them or we've just met them for the first time, why not? What's the worst case scenario? They go, geez, like, stop kissing my, you know what? No, they're never going to do that. It's just a wonderful thing. And the reinforcement, Jennifer, when you see the look on their face of like shock in a positive way, is the reinforcement that you need or I need to do this more often. So back to your original challenge, like if you have a team of people that are not used to it, be persistent, let them know that it's legit and they, they'll start hopefully even reciprocating, which is that's the fun part. Then you know you've built this coaching-rich environment when all of a sudden they start appreciating you. <laughs> now, that's not the ultimate reason why you want to do it, but it is a symptom of you you have turned the corner and you've built this incredible coaching-rich environment. So congratulations to you if you get there. That's great. And having actually just been the recipient of such a feedback form, by the way, not your feedback that you just provided me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Although I'm sure that was just an illustration. But I just had somebody deliver feedback to me in, in this way. And I was, it made my week. I was so something simple, something small, and something that I didn't really notice. I think the other thing is we're all so busy. We go about our day-to-day -day lives. You're doing your job. You're not always aware of how, how and what you're doing impacts others. And if there's an opportunity that you discover that and you learn about that impact, it kind of gets you jazzed, gets you psyched. So you're welcome. And you know what? I don't, I don't need to make too much of a big deal out of this, but it can be a life-changing event for certain people. When I think about kids, for example, me, that kid that has low self-esteem and that third grade teacher who's, who takes that little kid aside and says, you know what, you're doing a really great job with this. And, you know, here's some things I noticed about the, that child, you know, who's maybe in a bad place, sees their talent for the first time, can pursue that for the rest of their career. I had just a real quick story. I had in my first house, little tiny house, tiny little driveway, I built this flower garden on the edge of the driveway, right? It was pretty, pretty nice. I didn't know what I was doing. I just bought a bunch of flowers and seeds and I put them in the air, watered them every day. The neighbors would always be like, wow, how'd you do that? This is great and beautiful. The real estate agent, when we sold our house said, wow, this garden is phenomenal. I can't wait to see what you do at your next house life-changing for me. I ended up studying horticulture and learning all about it so I could sort of fulfill this, I don't know, this projection of my brilliance, which wasn't really brilliance, but because somebody appreciated it. Now I know every plant in the woods and, you know, but it was just, it was really, I know that sounds strange, but it was from one compliment that 
said, I'm going to really go after this. Wow. That's powerful. So it can be life-changing for people. And especially for people who are really stressed out right now who need this desperately, we can change their world by something that, as you said, is absolutely 100% free. Besides things like the Meaning Maker, are there other suggestions or tools you've used to reinforce behavioral changes in an organization? Because these things can take time. And At the grassroots level, I think that that's one of the best things that we could possibly do. And then I would, I would just say increasing frequency of communication. Like, how are we doing? What do we need to do? How are we doing? What do we need to do? And keep tapping into that. I think that would probably be the most effective things that if you just wanted to isolate on that, I think that would be a change management strategy that, that could not fail. One of the things that we have seen be very successful to reinforce behavior is also from grassroots, when you put into place some kind of change champion network or some sort of network of individuals that have perhaps the early adopters of the change, or perhaps they've had some early insights into why it's important, et cetera, but they can in turn be sort of the advocates. And they're the ones that start to model some of the early behavior you want to see and others start to see that, hey, well, this is what my peer is doing. Um, maybe I should be paying attention. So that is also, I think, a very important way to reinforce behavior on a longer term basis. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, one of the key factors in influencing without authority is what you'd call social proof. In other words, when I can look around and see that other people are doing it, then I go, oh, this is behavior that's accepted around here and rewarded around here. So that change leadership committee, or I call them internally the sneezers in a positive way. I know that's a disgusting term following COVID, but they're positively sneezing. In other words, they're viral with their attitude and their approach to work. And every company has them. They're you know, these sneezers. They're the best of your culture. They're the ones that are the early adapters. They're the ones that see the positivity and apply creativity to the work that they're doing and are, are usually also highly accountable. These are the people that if a company lost them, they'd be like heartbroken. I can't believe Jennifer just put on a resignation notice. What are we going to do? I mean, she was totally a sneezer, right? <laughs> so yes, that is a really good move. and. One of the fun things, Jennifer, and we've experienced this together is to ask people, who are they in your organization? And it takes like a nanosecond for them to identify them because they're so obvious. Who are your sneezers? Like, boom, I, I know who they are. They're, you know, and they just start rattling off their names. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. The other thing that I would add is, in order to go back to your question, how do you reinforce behavior? Is you as a leader or a peer, doesn't matter. Model asking for feedback. Model asking for feedback. So if people are doing that, then they know, okay, first of all, feedback must be a good thing. My boss and my peers keep asking for it. I'm going to start asking for it. Well, now you have unlocked the opportunity to really improve, to really grow through the change, to really flex through the change and be agile by simply asking for feedback along the way. You've got to model it first, though. 
Great point. And you can use the meaning maker to ask for people to practice on you (laughs) when you ask for feedback. Oh, that's great. Well, I just had one other question because I know we're coming up to the end of our time here and you and I could talk about this forever and ever. Maybe you could share some final thoughts on how, from your point of view, businesses can do things not only to survive, but to thrive in times of change. So kind of a summary of some of the things that we've talked about, I would say go first in catching people doing things right, no matter what level you are as a leader. I love seeing this at the senior team level, for sure. Model that behavior and start proliferating it. So that that is the number one thing that you can do right now, today. You can do it in the next 10 minutes. Who do... Who has done something right? How am I going to catch them doing things right and share that story with them? Go do it. Build it into your agenda for your meetings. And a lot of people are doing this at a huddle, just sort of going around like, who supported you this week? And and uh, you know, being able to do those sorts of call-outs from people doesn't always have to be you as the leader, but build that into your agenda. If you do that, then what you're doing is you're you're absolutely proving to people that it must be important enough to make the agenda. I'm going to start taking this seriously and thinking about it for myself. And that reinforcing those awesome behaviors on the way they're you know dealing with change or anything else are going to be the things that get called out there. I'm full of cliches today, but appreciation is the glue that holds teams together. Change tends to separate people. And what's the glue that holds people together? It's it's appreciation through those those hard times. So I just think it helps galvanize the resolve of everybody to be able to dress things together, cry together, whatever it is. It, it sets up your environment that those emotional attributes of working together that mean so much can be really highlighted communicated and accepted by people. That's great. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me again, Steve. You, you're just, it's, it's great to listen to your thoughts and ideas and metaphors and uh, tips and tricks. So you're just a wealth of information. And I hope that our listeners have enjoyed hearing some of your ideas today. In fact, they, um, I don't hope, I know they do. So So thanks again for coming out today. You're welcome. My pleasure always to be with you. So thank you so much. Great. Well, thank you everyone for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.